Thank you for listening to Funny Old World, our six-part podcast series hosted by me, Juliet Ginsman, and Simon London, made possible by Weaver, a new sustainability management system. Go to weaver.earth to find out more. This is the last episode, Simon. We hope you've enjoyed our entertaining conversations as we aim to help everyone better understand the causes, symptoms, and solutions to the climate emergency. Because there is a climate emergency, the overwhelm is real. And now more than ever, everyone's feeling a little sustainability fatigue. And while we also need to know the facts, goodness knows we need a little humour in our eco-anxiety-riddled lives. Juliet is a journalist and a sustainability expert, author and travel editor. And I'm a media pundit, but most importantly, I consider myself to be intellectually curious, uh, which I believe many of us are when it comes to this subject. And so hopefully I have been and will continue to be asking the questions that you out there want the answers to as well. We've covered carbon, waste, the economy, and how being more sustainable can be fantastically economical. We've looked at the media's coverage of the climate. So please contact us to let us know what else you'd like us to talk about if we did another series. Contact us via Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Juliet Kinsman, J-U-L-I-E-T-K-I-N-S-M-A-N. And I'm at S London UK, Slunden UK. So Juliet, it's the final show. And uh, there's been so much to ponder and digest, especially after episode five, which I really enjoyed, which was kind of the mis and disinformation one. Uh, And I really enjoyed what our guests Sarah and Jenny had to say about that. I've really enjoyed it all. And the feedback has been really positive. So thanks to everybody out there as well. But now it's the last in the series. It is episode six. Um, Although six episodes doesn't seem enough, does it really? It really doesn't, actually. We've got so much to talk about. Each topic deserves series in its own right. What else could we be talking about? What do we want from this final episode? I will tell you what people want, what they really, really want. My little Spice Girl. They want actionable advice. They want practical tips. They want to know how they can do things, how they can be a part of it. Um, The Sky Bike team had this ethos of marginal gains, which was doing the tiny things really, really well that overall made a big difference, a big impact. And people want to know how they can do those marginal gains. Marginal gains, hey. Since I last saw you, I actually saw Greta Thunberg speaking in person. And she she said we need to do a lot more than this whole idea of little things and little differences. And I kind of agree with her. I know what she's I know what she's saying. She'd say the marginal gains is a nonsense and we need to seriously be lobbying governments and making much bigger changes to to the world. Well, I don't know whether I agree with that, because if we got everybody who um, if we got everybody in the local area to go and march on parliament and uh, demand that they stop using oil, but we got everybody around this area to just turn off the lights um, when they left a room. Which would be more? Which would be more effective? Well, you're talking about us working as a collective, and that's really what this episode is focusing on. Um, challenge is that there's so much individualism in, out there, and so many people wanting to catch you out. Don't you find that? Yeah, we talked about this, didn't we, in the first episode about the gotcha thing? Where I, I think I said, 
It reminded me of my sister when she was a vegetarian back in the 80s when it wasn't so popular then. People would say to her, how can you be a vegetarian? You've got a leather shoes on or you've got le- you're wearing a leather belt. Um, and it's absolutely ridiculous. But I think that kind of got you, and you know about this more than anybody else, but it's when people say, oh, you say that you're green or you say that you're eco-friendly, but you're doing X. And I think that yeah. people, it, it puts people off. Definitely. For me, they're always trying to catch me out when it comes to flying, as you can imagine. I've even had someone write on an Instagram post once when I just got to Lisbon. When are you going to get it into your head? You can't fly. I'd actually just spent three and a half days getting there by train. So I think if you're going to call someone out, at least <laughs> at least check, you know, uh, the context. I, I also, I mean, there's so many things. I have done my best. I gave up having an, a car. It was a hybrid about seven years ago. I downsized to a tiny, tiny flat to reduce my own footprint. So, you know, there are only certain amount of things we can do. And I think we should need to invest our energy in amplifying positive stories and information. Yeah, Angela Terry, when she was in, said, you know, if people are going to try and do that gotcha on you, that you need to turn around and sort of say to them, I am doing something. I am doing something. What are you doing? Because people try it all the time. You know, I've been, oh, oh, you love animals, so therefore you can't eat meat, you know, or you can't use an iPhone because of child labour. You can't watch the World Cup because um, of its, uh, because of Qatar's track record. Yes, you can do all these things. The two (laughs) things are not mutually exclusive. You know, you can be against something and you can campaign for something whilst unfortunately having to be a part of that thing. You know, it's wrong to call people hypocrites when they're trying to do meaningful change. Absolutely. I listen to BBC Radio 4's Thought for the Day every day and they always have someone from a different faith every morning talking. And they had a vicar uh, talking about, in in the Christian context, about how people often say you can't preach or take the moral high ground if you yourself are a hypocrite in any way. And actually, he said exactly what you're saying, Simon. Yes, you can. Because none of us are completely perfect. See, there you go. And I'm not saying that I'm Jesus. That's for others to listen to and to come to that conclusion. It's our last chance. (laughs) This is where we start. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. Okay, good, 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 good. I do try and do my best. Um, Obviously, I work in the travel industry, so people love to shout about the flying. And I understand aviation is two and a half to three percent of all emissions. But anyway, I did take the train just now from North Africa. I came up from Morocco. Yes, many trains over a couple of weeks. Um, and that meant I also listened to about 24 hours worth of podcasts. And, and were they good? I listened to all different ones. I listened to Sustainable. I don't know if people have heard of that. It's been around for ages, actually, quite a few years. It was the first one, two guys chatting away. And they had Leah Thomas on there, who I really love. And she said what was really missing from the conversation was humour. Hopefully our kind of banter. So that was a nice affirmation that we're doing the right thing. One that I've listened to recently is uh, News Agents with um, John Sopel and Emily Maitlis, uh, which they launched with kind of quite a big fanfare. And what I like about it, going back again to episode five, which I think is one of my favourite episodes in our series, is that they've got a really good chemistry together, but also that when they're talking about news stories, they're really, really keen to sort of tell where the source where, the, where they've sourced them from. So it does feel like you're getting really good, impartial, well-sourced advice. And um, I recommend that one. Jolly good. Um, I also love reading books. I mean, yes, you know, give us I, your reading list. Well, I'm gonna, I'll share my reading list. I'll share, lo- there's so many. Um, I've read loads of inspiring ones, which I would actually urge people to buy, maybe not through Amazon, maybe through something like not Bookshop. Through, not from Jeff uh, Bezos. or uh, We've had him <laughs> pronounced three different times, haven't we? So what are we going to... Jeff Bezos? Bezos? Bezos. Hey-ho? Jeff Hayhoe. 
<laughs> yeah, doesn't it practically mean kisses in Spanish? I don't, I don't know how appropriate that is. I'm not sure. And I should have to actually say, you know, everybody doing this kind of gotcha thing to Jeff Bezos, the news that he is donating loads of money and he's going to be philanthropic, try saying that without your teeth in, um, I think is, is good news as well. And he should be applauded for that. Lots of things that he needs to look at, but I think he should be applauded for that. Yeah, that's a tricky one, that one. The reason he has so much money to donate to charity is because he doesn't run a particularly ethical business. So that's a whole other conversation. I would still urge people to buy certainly books from independent booksellers for lots of reasons. Yeah. Um. So you you talked about um, Greta Thunberg. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. And her book. And I've seen obviously a lot of uh, people holding it up and it's had a lot of publicity. Have you read it? It's got the warming stripes, that that iconic artwork on the front, you know, the blue moving yes. to red. Yeah. That's that's representing the data that uh, shows our, our change in climate temperatures. Uh, that's what it clever. represents. Yeah. Would you recommend it to our listeners? I would really recommend everyone gets it, but I would just manage your expectations, say it's very dense. And you know what? It's very serious. And sometimes when you feel yourself contracting, we've talked about that before, you don't feel as inspired or, or motivated to try and change things. You just feel totally demoralized well that's what this was all about wasn't it we said it is there is a climate emergency it is a serious subject but we wanted to do it with exactly. a bit of light-heartedness so, so are you saying it's there's not a lot of light and shade in there I, I'm just, no, actually, because it's got Kate Rayworth in there, who is obviously the creator of Donut Economics, which is a great theory. It's got Naomi Klein. It's got Mitzi Janelle Tan and George Monbiot, who were in our first first episode. So it's got big thinkers. I'm just saying dip in. You won't be able to read it all in one go like you you might another book, a book I really loved reading in one go. That's Citizens by John John Alexander. I really, really encourage everyone to get that. And what's and that one that. about? He divides history into three different, let's call it chapters, or three stories across history. You've got the subject story, which was all about doing what we were told as subjects. You had a small amount of people, you know, bossing us around, whether they were rulers or royalty. Then it sort of everything changed around the world wars because you had people from all walks of life in the trenches together, you know, whatever their race, whatever their class, and they sort of realize their shared humanity. After World War II, we shifted to what he calls the consumer story. And this I find really, really interesting. This is where we are now. It's all about individualism. It's all about looking out for number one and ourselves. And it's kind of falling apart. And what we really need to rise up is the citizen story. So being good citizens. And we, I hope that this is going to activate people in that way. Talking about activating people, what do you think about these students from Just Stop Oil who are throwing soup on artworks and things? Because we've talked about activism and we're going to talk a little bit more about activism, I know, in this episode. And when I first heard about that, I was on the overground listening to the radio and I heard it and I actually gasped like, oh my God, they threw soup on Van Gogh's sunflowers. And then I just thought, how brilliant. How absolutely brilliant. When I've heard that it was, they knew that it was glass and they were throwing it on the glass, they really made me think, yes, art is important and great art needs to be admired and treasured, but art is transitory and actually the earth is not. And for them to sort of pick something and fool everybody into that they were destroying it and then... It really, really made me think. Now, I've asked lots of people and people are split down the middle and people are saying, oh, it's just turned everybody against Just Stop Oil. But I think it's highlighted the subject brilliantly. And I once tweeted earlier this year quite smugly, oh, I wish students were angrier. 
and they are angry and there are some angry students out there and they are doing some brilliant, brilliant things. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, look, Just Up Oil, do I believe in what they're standing up against? Absolutely. You know, they want the government to commit to halting the extraction of more fossil fuels. Absolutely. Do I think they go about it the right way? Um, you're right. That was a great stunt. It got everyone's attention and there was glass there. So actually it didn't it didn't damage the artwork. I just when I hear them on the news, it's Just Stop Oil or people from Extinction Rebellion or Insulate Britain. When they speak in a way that they're a guest, let's say, on, on a mainstream broadcaster, they're a guest and they sound like they're reading a script. They sound like they're on their soapbox shouting angrily at the person interviewing them rather than saying it calmly, respectfully. Again, it's about tone. I think people switch off and they, they feel irritated by them and that doesn't help the cause. I think... Stunts are great if they do it in the right way. I know that there's obviously always lots of controversy around these things when people, you know, miss parent funerals because of it. Um, people say, well, you have to look at the bigger picture. It's a tough one, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, but there's so much to cover in the sustainability conversation. So what would you say that we've missed? Well, I, I'm really happy this episode will look at how to be an activist more clearly and accessibility is a part of the sustainability conversation we haven't yet touched on. And of course, since my background is travel, how about we speak to one of my most inspiring eco-hoteliers? His way of operating businesses is fairly universal. I actually went to see him in Costa Rica at the start of this year. Costa Rica, did you fly? Gotcha. I did. Gotcha. I did. And do you know what? When I was choosing my, my route, it was much, much cheaper to fly via Miami, but I went direct. Cost me twice as much because it's the taking off and landing part that's the worst. So I did do my best and I figured overall that the result of me going there was uh, net positive. Let's ask Hans why Costa Rica is such a sustainable destination. It really is. Um, also, Christina Figueres, she is from there. She's very cool. Do you know who she is? Uh, she was the executive secretary of the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. You've looked that up, haven't I have, you? You yes. have. Okay, fine. <laughs> well, she she's a really wonderful spokesperson who who's very respected. She does a fantastic podcast series. I think you know we should do the gracious thing and. Sh and steer people to other podcast series, Outrage and Optimism. You see, you can be outraged, but you can also be optimistic. And that's where I think sometimes activism goes wrong. Shall we speak to, shall we speak to Hans? Hans Fister. Absolutely. Let's go to Costa Rica then. Good morning. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, my name is Hans Fister. I live in Costa Rica. I'm the co-owner of uh, the Cayuga Collection. Uh, we're a group of hotels, uh, sustainable luxury hotels in Costa Rica, Panama, and Nicaragua. And we've been doing this for over 20 years. So uh, thanks for letting me share my uh, experience with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, lots of people can't get their heads around how on earth luxury travel could actually be doing some good. But, you know, I woke up to it, really the power of it the other day when I met this guy who he's called Winston Chesterfield, actually. And he, he, he looks at wealth. Who's got the money? And did you know? Well, guess how many billionaires there are in the world, Simon? Oh, God, you're always with the pop quiz questions. Fifteen. 3,311. I mean, that could change. And do you know these ultra high net worth individuals represent about $10 trillion in wealth? Wow, that's massive. And I bet they own... 10% of the of the globe's wealth, I should imagine. Well, they, I'll tell you what they do. Own. Sorry, 90%. They, 90%. Own, they own a lot of hotels. But more than anything, we want them spending their money in good hotels. Hans, what do you think about this? I agree. I mean, of course, as a hotelier, I always uh, love uh, guests to spend money in, in our hotels. But I think it goes beyond that. Um, we actually decided uh, when, we, when we got started that we want to be in the high-end luxury segment because we thought that we could make a difference there. 
Uh, if we're able to inspire uh, some of our high net worth clients about sustainability, uh, teach them how things can be done differently, how travel can be done differently, uh, and they then can, uh, with all the influence they have, uh, can then share that, that's where we can really um, have an impact. And, and I've seen that with uh, CEOs, um, actors, um, you know, really high influential people that stayed at our hotels, uh, you know, how they were like, wow, you know, I, now I get it. I understand. And how then they uh, took this and um, yeah, made changes in their lives and, and, and hopefully inspired others. So, so I think that's a, that's a good approach. That's really good to know because I was about to say this all sounds incredibly exclusive for our sort of run-of-the-mill um, normal normal listener who's thinking luxury travel, luxury hotels, flying to Costa Rica. How does that how does that benefit me or how's that going to affect me? But I love the idea that you're giving people a message or you're hoping to influence these massively influential people to do good out the back of it. Yes. And of course, you know, people are flying to Costa Rica and there is a carbon footprint. And that's something I think about a lot. And I and I'm not, you know, so happy about it. But then I think about footprint versus handprint. You know, when when people are here on the ground and if they really make their vacation count and if they really uh, get involved uh, with uh, communities, with uh, nature, and and learn and and, and really have a, a positive experience and ins- an inspiring experience. Uh, I think then the handprint might even be bigger than the than the footprint, especially uh, if you take care of your emissions uh, by you know planting trees or or, or other measures uh, to lower the impact of your air travel. But I definitely think that Costa Rica uh, is a country that is focused on doing things right. Uh, Juliet, we were talking about that uh, when you visit us here in Costa Rica, how Costa Rica after World War II decided to abolish its army and spend that money then on social benefits for the population, education, a a good health system. And that has really made a difference. Uh, Over a third of the country is protected areas. So uh, there's a lot to learn here in in, in Costa Rica about how to do things right. And I'm not saying that everything is perfect here. We still have a long way to go. There's things we need to work on, uh, and we are. But I think it can be quite inspiring from people around the world visiting us here. Definitely. And actually, I I was reading in my book, I've just been talking about called Citizens, that if you engage a child, this came through the National Trust uh, doing a big campaign around it. If you engage a child with nature, make them care about it before the age of 12, then they're really much more likely to care about conservation for the rest of their life. So it's not just those high net worth people, it's their kids and their families, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's where we're seeing a lot of that. So tell us what makes your businesses more sustainable? When we when we talk about sustainability, often people think mostly about lead lights and energy saving and uh, hanging your towels and, and little shampoo bottles. And that's all right. You know, I mean, that's what we've done uh, over 20 years ago when we got started here. But when we think of sustainability and making our businesses more sustainable, we really focus on the people, on the communities, on not thinking in the short term, not making a quick profit, but thinking beyond. For example, you know, when we look at, at people, we want to only hire locals. You know, uh, many luxury hotels, you go around the world and the, the people that greet you and, and serve you are expats from, from around the world. At the Cayuga Collection Hotels, everybody's local. So that's something really important. For example, the other thing is uh, we give year-round employment. Costa Rica is a seasonal destination. You know, there's a dry season, there's a rainy season. We call it the green season or the wildlife season, uh, which is actually a great time to visit. 
it. But uh, there are uh, differences in demand. So keeping people all year round and not firing them uh, for four or five months when, when things get slower is, is another thing. So investing in them, giving them career paths, teaching them leadership skills is something that's really important. So the people factor is something that for us at Cayuga is super important. What should we be looking for, Hans, that tells us that a company is genuinely eco? Because we've talked in this series about greenwashing and things. Um, I'd be really interested to hear your answer about that. Yeah, that's a great question. And and of course, there's a, a lot of greenwashing going on. I get calls from, from colleagues, uh, you know, in Miami who said, hey, Hans, you know, my headquarters told me I have to be more eco. What should I do? Right. And and my answer, the, the first answer is the first thing you have to do is you have to believe in it. You know, you, you can't just do that because headquarters tells you because it's not going to come out right. You know, it's not going to be right. So So the first thing is you really have to have that consciousness that what you want to do in terms of sustainability is something that you really want to do it because you want to better the lives of the people. You want to protect the nature around you, the communities. So I think the, the most important thing is that, that you really believe in. How do you make people care more? How do you make them feel more? How do we do it? I think it's it's what we talked about before. It's 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 putting them on the ground, you know, walking through a rainforest, observing the animals, uh, seeing how the rainforest interacts and 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 grows and and regrows and dies and then comes back and you know all of these experiences and then connecting with uh, with the locals, hearing their stories, where they grew up, you know, how things have changed. When you're able to get connect people with all of that, that's when I think they start to care and and they start to make a difference. Uh, going back to Simon's question. You know, just real quick, the way that that I recommend people to distinguish if a, if a business is really sustainable or not is to talk to the employees of the business. And I'm not saying to talk to the sustainability director or the owner or general manager. You know, talk to the line level employees. You know, if you're going to make a booking at a hotel, talk to the reservations agent. You know, pick up the phone and say, hey, what do you do to be sustainable at your hotel? And if you just get some, you know, land phrases or, or, or kind of nothing, well, then think about it twice. But if all of that person gets excited and tells you all the things that they've done uh, with the local school and that there's a company doctor for the people in town and, and, and how they've reduced all the imports of food or all the decor is done locally and they get all excited about it, then you know you're on the right path. And when you're at the hotel, talk to a gardener, talk to a maid, talk to a receptionist and, and see what they tell you. So that's something that I definitely recommend. And this is where you can see the difference. Actually, and I really loved having a tour behind the scenes at some of your hotels and it really some simple hacks there for, for other businesses. I know that you put different types of waste in different colored plastic bags. So you could very simply count, you know, if you have however many blue bags, you, that's how much paper you're using and you're just trying to simply reduce it um, month to month yeah i mean that's the next level you know so if your hotel or your business that you're staying at offers a back of the house tour i mean we've been doing this again for over 20 years where we invite all of our guests to see everything of the hotel there's nothing that's off limits you go into the laundry you go into the employee cafeteria into the kitchen you see the the treatment plant of wastewater you see the recycling area and when you're then able to see all of that ask questions and you know lift the lids and look in you know what's in there are they really transparency transparency right you know that's what it comes down to it's not just a pr piece sent out to the database but it's it's transparency on the ground and i think that's where really things become quite interesting thanks hans and also well i'm very conscious that we're here in a studio in north london and if i were to stop someone in the street and start talking to them about sustainability they might be more concerned with ensuring they have enough money to pay their heating bills or feed their kids so 
that's something to think about. You're you're really influencing the people with the money. Yes, and uh, that's the business that we're in. But of course, our own employees are not you know, uh, super wealthy people. It's really interesting to see how they have taken sustainability habits back home and shared it with their families. And there are a lot of things that being sustainable means consuming less and consuming less means, you know, spending less money. So I think that there's ways you can be sustainable and also, you know, what's your wallet? For, For example, at the hotels, we only serve local food. If you eat local food, that's a lot cheaper than eating imported food. If you have the chance to invest in your home in in insulation, maybe for cold or for heat, your bill will go down. So there are things that you can do that we want everybody that comes to our hotels to take home and then uh, get inspired and make the changes at home that can make a difference there as well. Hans, obviously this is a luxury travel, as we said at the beginning, but could the big travel companies like TUI be doing the same thing? Because you hear a lot about these all-inclusive hotels where people go and they don't go out and they're not sort of giving anything back to the local community or anything else. What lessons could they be learning from you guys? Yes, I do think they can be a lot more sustainable. And there are some examples of some of the larger companies making an effort. But I think the important thing is is coming back to really believing what you do. So saying, okay, I'm going to increase my expenses in certain areas a little bit to save in others and, and to make a difference in the experience. So again, working local, hiring local, serving local is is something super important that could benefit. And then just maybe not being quite as greedy, right? You know, because a lot of these all-inclusive just don't want the people to leave the grounds and letting them leave and uh, spread some of the tourism dollars in the community could make a huge difference. So I think it's um, just making a decision of being willing to share some of the wealth and not keeping it all for yourself. I think that would be a good start. Thank you so much. Have you got any last tips for people outside of travel they could do just to be a greener human being i think it's just a mindset it's just consciousness you know it's it's as simple as when you walk your dog and you see a piece of paper lying on the sidewalk or a piece of plastic and you pick it up and you put it in the in the uh, recycling bin so if you have consciousness of you know we got to do something we got to be aware of where the planet is going and everybody does a little thing that'll take us a long way and that's what we're trying to do that every guest that that stays at the cayuga collection hotels goes back and says, hmm, yeah, I'll make a change. I won't buy plastic bottles anymore or I will uh, be more conscious about using my car and maybe walking, taking public transportation or you know, wh- whatever it is where they can make the difference. So I think it's awareness, consciousness and just being clear that it's up to us to make a difference. Thank you. It sounds like we all just need to be better global citizens. I think that would help. Thanks so much, Hans. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Speak to you soon. Wow, that was interesting. Good chat with Hans Fister. I'm glad we were able to squeeze him in. I have to admit, I was thinking quite cynically, oh no, this is all going to be about luxury travel and, you know, our average listeners not going to be able to afford this and is going to feel sort of disengaged or disenfranchised. But I think just listening to what he's doing and especially talking about community, which was something that uh, Zeta Cobb talked a lot about, was really, really interesting because I think those big travel companies really have a lot to learn from people like Hans because they get these people in. It's all inclusive. The people don't go out. They're not giving anything back to the community. You know, the amount of rubbish and the waste that's uh, that's done, they really need to address that. And I think learning from that and him being an influencer himself, uh, I love that idea of footprint versus handprint as well. Great, really great guest. I thought it was really good. And, you know, so much chimed with episode two on carbon, episode three on waste, episode 
soon. Exactly as you say, four on economy. Hey, listen, we're making eco sexy. I like deal with it. Hans also, you'll always see him carrying his refillable water bottle. I know it seems a trivial thing, but really, let's normalise drinking tap water. When I was just in Spain, 99.9% of water in Spain is drinkable out the tap. But I feel like we were programmed to always order bottled water in Spain, weren't we? Yeah, as a kid. Ridiculous. As Ridiculous. a kid, um, kind of the three, the three most dangerous things as a kid um, was <laughs> uh, not wearing seatbelts. Oh no, let's go through them. The most dangerous things as a kid: playing on the railway lines, going back to lit fireworks, drinking the water overseas, ducking, diving, bombing. I know that wasn't dangerous. Stro- uh, stroking any animals on holiday because they've all got rabies. <laughs> um, okay, so who's our next guest? Well. Simon. Next, we're going to actually speak to Sophie Morgan, because you did say to me you weren't quite sure how the whole sort of accessibility part was relevant to this conversation. It's not linked necessarily to the climate emergency, but inclusivity is absolutely key to sustainability. Hi, I'm Sophie Morgan. I'm a TV presenter and a disability advocate. Sophie, why is accessibility such an important part of the sustainability conversation? I think it's an important part of every conversation, if I'm honest, but it's particularly important when we think about the the reach and the need for every human being to be able to benefit from the same experiences as everybody else. And I think it's something that often gets overlooked, which is why I advocate so passionately about change that's needed and, and try and you know, make people aware when they're fighting for their various causes that, that, that ours is very much a cause that needs to be championed as well. Sophie, as a black person, I'm always trying to tell and explain to people the concept of privilege. And I often say that people with disabilities would be able to explain it sometimes better than me because you see the privilege of able-bodied people walking around and not thinking about what people with disabilities need. Would you would you agree with that? So to answer your question, Simon, I'd say that we just need to start by thinking about the term disability and the fact that within that label, there are many groups represented. So there's people like myself who's got a physical disability. I'm a wheelchair user. I was paralysed from the chest down um, when I was about 18 years old, so about 20 years ago. So there's those kind of impairments that are perhaps more obvious, but then there are, of course, people with sensory impairment or the neurodiverse communities that all fall within the disability group Um, and each of us has different needs and different barriers when it comes to you know what when you talk about privilege of course we also have to look at the fact that within our group there'll be privilege as well that I'm a white woman for example I may use a wheelchair but I have that um, privilege that comes with being white and then there's also the fact that perhaps it's easier for me to communicate than someone who for example might be deaf and so there's various ways in which you need to break down the answer to that question but I would say that often more often than not it is a group that as a whole gets overlooked when it comes to what our needs are and and so yes perhaps if you did put us in a hierarchy there is that idea that yeah for sure I think non-disabled people do take for granted some of the ways in which the barriers present themselves to, to people in the disabled community. Okay, so so what's been changing uh, in terms of better understanding of inclusivity and what really does still need to change? Well, I would say a lot still needs to change. I think what we've got at the moment, when you look at access, if you take access and inclusion um, for people with disabilities, you'll see more often than not, that there are ramps, that there are potentially wider doorways, you know, there might be physical barriers removed. But where we don't see the real inclusion is when it comes to sort of the 
attitudes of people, which are, which do present huge barriers, perhaps even larger barriers than the physical ones. And so that's where I think there needs to be more education, more more awareness, training. There needs to be various things that change. But I think the two go hand in hand. And it's really encouraging. I mean, I work a lot with the travel industry and I'm constantly championing those who are doing well and practicing, you know, best practice out there. There are people who are really getting it right and, and need to be celebrated. And, and I think the disabled community can see that there are changes happening. It's just It's just progress can feel very slow times. This episode is really focused on us all being better global citizens. And and what I'm hearing is obviously a lot of people, you know, one in five people I understand has a significant physical or mental impairment of some sort. Mm-hmm. How can we all be better activists and better citizens in terms of considering accessibility? I think the simple answer to that question is to kind of keep in your mind at all times where possible, um, but specifically when you're making decisions, who is in the room? And when I say that, I mean, who are you talking to when it comes to making decisions on behalf of people with disabilities, perhaps, or or not? You know, let's consider who's in the room when you're making those decisions. So that's about representation. But I think also ask the question, is this accessible? I think wherever you can ask that question, and that can be the way in which you communicate, it can be in terms of the the physical infrastructure that you might have control over any of those questions any of any of those spaces where you can influence change ask the question is it accessible and who is in the room and those questions can really lead you to making more informed decisions and accurate choices i should say when it comes to integrating change more effectively sophie do you have any tips for our listeners on how they can be good allies like it's always seems this huge question that people have you know how can I be better for disabled people it's like well just how can you be better for people just think about other people's needs it's not rocket science and ultimately you know just because for example I use a wheelchair to get around the perception that that is such an enormous challenge to face is is one that's really limiting for disabled people and for people around us like it's not that hard we just need to facilitate change together and that takes conversations and removing the awkwardness that exists around disability and I always say just ask questions but politely of course don't be invasive with your questions and don't be (laughs) rude with your questions but just ask you know what can I do for you I often say one of the best ways we can approach helping people with disabilities is you know when you're in a restaurant and someone says what are your dietary requirements right it's quite a normal conversation to have these days over dinner you'll say you know oh, I'm gluten-free or or I'm, I've got an allergy to this or that in a way we've normalized that conversation and we need to do that with access requirements as well oh, excellent well, thank you so much for being uh, our guest today Sophie and keep up the good work thank you very much it's always so interesting talking to Sophie Morgan I love it uh, as with the accessibility conversation she always says this Richard Thompson, who's a big spokesperson in the accessibility sector, always says accessibility is being invited to the party, whereas inclusivity is being asked to dance. Love that. Yeah. He's just Richard Thompson, actually, has just launched something called Care, which is a verification for hotels to prove that they're actually accessible and inclusive. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. So it's kind of like sort of like those old Egon Rone stars. Exactly. Well, exactly. Xenia at Considerate Hotels, she counted up how many there were just in the travel sector and there are eight hundred. So that we'll have to get on to certifications next series, don't you think? Yeah, no, definitely. But that's such a great idea so that you kind of can look at it just yeah. in the same way as you would yeah. for the food or the hospitality or something else. It seems that seems so obvious. Why has it taken so long? Well, thank goodness Weaver's about actually because Weaver as a sustainability management system does have 
its set of indicators and it takes it all into consideration from from people well they've got 18 different ones i'll let you go to weaver.earth to check that out but another big topic in the conversation is biodiversity and you've been going on sort of throughout the series not going on but you've yeah, been you saying say that. it's kind of important to have a voice coming from the continent of africa um and i believe you finally you finally tracked somebody down to bring them in I, i've got apart a... from julia of course from weaver south africa absolutely well we've got kevin who who he bangs the drum for biodiversity he's from kenya and i th- I, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from him My name is Kevin Lizalu. I am an environmentalist from Kenya. I'm the co-founder of the Kenyan Youth Biodiversity Network, which is an organic organization that brings together young people from various fronts in Kenya to advocate for a nature-positive world. So why is it so important that we have an African voice in this conversation, Kevin? It's really important that we have Africa on the table of discussion about the climate crisis and, by extension, all the three planetary crises that the world is facing right now, you know, climate change, biodiversity loss, and pollution, because Africa is the continent that is facing the most or the worst impact of climate change as we speak, despite the fact that as a continent, we only emit roughly about 3% of the total global emissions. And so it's crucial that when we are talking about where the emissions are coming from and the communities that are facing the worst impact of it, we bring Africa to the table. And Africa is also largely endowed with biodiversity. And and let's explain, what is biodiversity? Biodiversity is um, all living things. Actually, human beings are part of it. We are all part of nature. As human beings, we derive our lives and livelihoods out of nature. And it's so significant that we protect biodiversity. We are consuming about 1.6 planets. In the near future, we're going to need to consume about three of those Uh, to just sustain us. So we need to relook at the way we are interacting with nature and more so the way we are consuming the natural resources that's around us. Also, obviously, when we talk about this, it's really important to acknowledge the role of the global north and the global south. Can Can you explain those terms and their significance in this conversation? So essentially, the global north are countries that lie on the northern hemisphere and the global south are countries that lie to the south. And so historically, the countries in the north have been extracting resources legally and illegally from the global south and also driving the the, the consumption of these resources way up than the planet can sustain it. And so we have seen the manifestation of that through things like increased emissions, especially in the global north, which is now driving the climate crisis that's being witnessed in the global south. So countries like Kenya are having, you know, severe droughts, floods, locusts, and all this. And the first basic step is to recognize that we are all part of nature and that what we are doing, irrespective of where you are, is affecting somebody somewhere. And especially if you're in the north. And so we need to uh, come out and speak 
uh, on the various drivers of climate change. We need to relook at our behavior, our consumption and production patterns. Look into the traditional knowledge, and Africa is a perfect place to 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 source such information. How uh, Africans uh, interacted with nature, and generally formulate policies that guarantee a shared future between people and nature. So you, you're saying that us in the global north, then we can help by supporting the activism that you guys are uh, fostering over in Africa, yeah? You in the global north have a bigger responsibility. It's true. Um, okay. Yeah. It's coming through loud and It's clear. like you're saying, Kevin, you're not getting off that easily, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately, you in the global north have bigger responsibility because your responsibility runs beyond just being activists, you have to see transformative change in the way you are manufacturing, the way you are consuming, the way you are funding the climate crisis in the South. You need to, you know, help those communities in the South that are currently dying because of the climate crisis to either adapt or mitigate the impact of the emissions that are coming from the North. So, yeah, the responsibilities are common and shared but they are differentiated. People listening, when they finish this podcast, what's one thing they can do? Uh, one thing you can do right now is, one, dump that plastic straw. Yeah. Thank you. Pass the straw. That's good, actually. Thank you, know? you. Yeah, that is good. We know that, but people need to be reminded. I'd say try and ditch the whole plastic bottle, but yeah. Hey, hey, Kevin's given us our tip. Baby steps, Kevin. I will pass that on. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Thank you Thanks, so Kevin. much. Thanks, Kevin. I love Kevin's one tip. Less plastic straws. I mean, it seems really, really obvious, but it's just lovely to hear it from him. Yeah, it's symbolic, isn't it? It reminds us, I think, because also we're seeing a lot less plastic straws. So it shows how if we really shame a certain totem, we can make a difference. Those of us in sustainability are totally aware of the indigenous people's role in all of this. And they, they're custodians of so much biodiversity, which is also what Kevin was talking about. And yet their, their rights and their impact has been so diminished. So... It's, it's really this whole intersectionality between environment and people and social justice is crucial. Yeah, and good to hear a young voice. Now, you've got another young voice for yes. us that you want to introduce. Who's <laughs> Make, this? You're making yourself <laughs> I'm very elderly. No, you're not elderly at all. I'm not <laughs> saying that you're going around the internet looking for young people. Oh, come with me and talk to me about the climate emergency. Come this way. Um, well, I said it. There is truth in that. Um, we're going to speak to Ayal over in Argentina. Hi, Ayal. How are you? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you. Please, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you, why and how you're an activist? So my name is Eyal Weintraub, and I'm a youth climate activist from Argentina that started organizing in the last big youth wave uh, with Fridays for Future and Greta Thunberg. What does that mean? What sort of activism, what's the most, what's the big thing that you've done that's put your name on the map? So we do a lot of community organizing and lots of big strikes. We've organized protests over the last few years that have mobilized over 100,000 people uh, in Argentina, all over the country. And we've lobbied to get concrete laws passed and worked uh, together with the executive branch to develop public policy to increase the government's uh, efficiency in tackling climate change. Oh, wow. So because I always think of you guys as sort of youth activists or, or young people, how does the striking by young people have such a good effect? 
I guess it's always an attractive media story. And it's true that media helps create a lot of the narrative. And so that's always been quite effective. Uh, I feel that when we released the first press releases, since it said uh, you've organized at the beginning, it was quite easier to get that momentum going. And I think that's a, a big part of it. And I think it's also symbolically very powerful. You know, when we first started organizing, having uh, youth decide to not go to school, because what's the point of studying for a future that will be apocalyptic was a very powerful message and is a very powerful message as well. So, oh, wow, I, that's a lot a lot to think about. You're talking about the future and, and that's what it's all about. So how can we all be better climate positive citizens for the sake of everyone's future? That's a great question. Step number one, get informed. We can't care what, about what we don't know about. So first, we need to know what's happening in order for us to care about it and transform that interest into action. And then the best way to get involved is to start locally organizing. It doesn't have to be huge. It can be with the people from your school, with the people from your office, what's going on that could be better developed from an environmental perspective and get some a few like-minded individuals to help you make that dream into reality. So, Ayal, if there was one thing you'd want our listeners, younger or older, to take away from this podcast, what would it be? Five words. Get informed and get involved. Get informed and get involved. Love it. Ayal, you're a star. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest achievement as an activist has been? I think the biggest achievement has been um, co-founding Youth for Climate Argentina and getting hundreds of people all over the country involved because that's the way that you achieve real political transformations, not by individually trying to transform the world or your community, but by doing it together with other people. Yes, that's been the theme of this episode. We need we need to I wish I could organize a funny old world party for starters, maybe online sometime. That would be great. I'd love to join. <laughs> that's excellent. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for talking to us and we're going to keep following you. If people want to f- keep in touch with what you're doing, where should they go? You can follow me on Instagram at @ayalwain, E Y A L W E I N. And thanks to Ayal there in Buenos Aires. I'd love to go to Argentina. Me too. Never Have been. You, you've never been? No. Never well, I, th- been. I thought that you've been pretty much everywhere. Not at all. South America? You visited it. Come on. Yeah, of course. Brazil. I mean, one of the biggest, you know, crime committers in the deforestation conversation. <laughs> Sorry, buzzkill. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's always, like, does it's that what happens when people, Is that what happens when people bump into you at a party <laughs> and go, oh, um, we've just been to the Isle of Wight. And you sigh and go, well, yeah, of course, it's disappearing, oh. sea erosion. I actually just booked a cottage in the Isle of Wight in the <laughs> Ventnor Botanical Garden. So there we okay. are for your biodiversity. Well, that's up then, isn't it? That's, yeah. a, that's nice and up. Listen, it would be remiss of me to let this moment pass without mentioning something so you can plug your new book because we had oh. we, we recently had a, a party for it a launch for we it we had a breakfast party it was we fun did. wasn't it god it was early the views made up for it, it was, it's right next to uh bbc london which we, you and i both occasionally pop into at the treehouse hotel incredible views and thank you yes i did i i, I talked about my book the bucket list series from Rizzoli, but mine's the bucket list eco experiences traveling the world sustaining the earth kind of hate that bit of the title but they chose it (laughs) and i'm not going to point out that even in something as wonderful as eco experiences you still got bucket list in there still reminding people that they're they're going to die they're going to kick the bucket (laughs) so these eco experiences are they listed um alphabetically as what's the number one how how have you done it there's actually a thousand experiences in there all way yeah all over the world so it's geographical yeah on a bucket list 
Yeah, yeah. You don't. You're not obliged to do all of them. When, no, but like we're bucket yeah. listers. You've got to do this before you die. That's a thousand, th- a thousand places. They're absolutely worth considering. If you are going to go to any hotels or plan trips, make this your guidebook. I would hope, and do things that have a wonderful social and environmental impact. So it's nice and big. I can I can tell you that people and lovely photographs as well. It absolutely does. We're going to talk to an author of a book that you've been banging on about. I hate to, to say banging on about that sounds as though you've been sort of but you have haven't you? I do you talk really, about citizens you a lot. You really really sort of you said this at, at your own book launch you were plugging somebody else's book. So why have citizens grabbed you so much? So I talked about it earlier on in the show a little bit. I really you know it's really important that we sort of move the story along as John Alexander puts it. He's probably better than me to explain it. He can tell us all about the new Citizen Project and we're going to join him now. So, John, why don't you explain to the listeners a little bit about your book, why you wrote it and what it's about? Uh, well, so essentially, it's, it's, an, it's an argument that the, the best way to understand the moment in time we're living in is through the lens of what I call stories, um, by which I argue there are three stories of the individual in society that are, that are in competition in this moment in time. What I call the subject story, as in subjects of the king, the consumer story and the citizen story. And the, the central one of those, the, the consumer story, is kind of the story we've been living in for the last 80 years or so. It's a story that says that the, the right thing to do is to pursue self-interest on the basis that, that actually if everyone chooses the option that suits them best from those that are offered and, and pursues their self-interest, then that will add up to the best society as a whole. That will add up to the collective interest. And and really, my argument is that, that in this moment in time, that story is falling apart. And, and as that story falls apart, like... That the uncertainty that into the uncertainty that results, there's a kind of vacuum, and 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 what gets sucked into that vacuum is is the is the old story I call the subject story, um, which is which is you know the authoritarian story, the strongman story, which says that actually the right thing to do is keep your head down and do as you're told because the strong leader will tell us tell us how to how to fix the world or or at least how to do what they want us to do, and and it's understandable that that rises in this moment in time because we're losing our certainty of the last 80 years or so but but the the reason for writing the book and the, the the real sort of focus of the book is that there is another story what i call the citizen story which basically says actually the right thing to do is to get involved to, to contribute your ideas energy and resources to the pursuit of the best society and 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 to create the conditions for others to do so as well to that that actually all of us are smarter than any of us and that's how we'll figure out the answers to these challenges and, and maybe i'll just say one last thing which is like this isn't a kind of moral uh, it's not a this is what should happen kind of book. It's a it's a this is what is happening kind of book. Like actually, this is taking shape everywhere across the world. So it's a it's really a, a, an offer of my favourite review of the book uh, so far has been someone called Evidence Based Optimism. Perfect. <laughs> you see, that's the thing. It's not preachy. When I read it, I felt it. It was really explanatory. It was really measured, and it was really motivating. So. If we were to ask you, I know it's really annoying to be so reductive, but let's imagine people are too lazy to borrow my copy of the book. If you were to sim- <laughs> if you were to ask them to to think about what makes a good citizen in today's world and why that matters, what would you this is do you know this this episode is how to be a good citizen. It's the final episode. What wise words would you leave with them? <laughs> well, I mean, 
like my answer to the to how how do you be a good citizen is basically a, a three step thing really it's a, step one is is find home like and and by home i don't necessarily mean like your your geographic community it might be a community of interest it might be where you work it's it's basically choosing a domain that you you're going to commit to and 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 get involved in that's step one. And then step two is find the others, like, like put up the bat signal, find, find the other people in that community who, who, who care and want to change it and want to make it more sustainable, more regenerate, like make it regenerative, whatever language you guys, what you want to use in that context. And then step three, and it's critical that it is only step three, it comes after choosing a domain and finding the others, is decide together what the first thing you're going to do is. And that can be something really humble. Like so many of the stories I, I, I discovered in the book, whether they're in the slums of Nairobi or on the streets of Grimsby, are, are, are start with litter picks, actually. Um, but that, that act of like doing something together, yeah. um, the same, like, is, is the most important thing. And, and maybe like just to say, like the difference between that and trying to be good as a consumer, I think is massive. Like being a good citizen, the joy of that work and, and the fact that there isn't anything to stop you starting it like well some of the one of the things i worry about in, in our kind of in the environmental movement is that if you're trying to be good at, from within the consumer story you kind of have to have, you have to be a saint before you're even allowed to talk like you have to never use yeah. a disposable cup and never eat meat and so this is a this is an approach that is like no get stuck in that's the first thing i like the idea though of a of a good consumer because a, a good consumer there from a moral point of view whereas um i think that some people who enjoy retail therapy would say i'm a good consumer because I can buy everything really, really well and quickly. Do you think there's a time, I mean, you're saying that you're not positing a theory, you're kind of looking at an observance and this is going on now. Do you think that each of those those movements had their time, John, and now it is the time of the citizen? Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good way to understand it. Like the, the in the aftermath of the two world wars, I think the consumer story kind of took shape and, and in so many of the institutions that, that structure our society today. And it, and it sort of made sense for a time. I, wanna, I talk in the book about the year 1984 and, and, and like the body shop floated on the stock exchange that year with the idea you can buy stuff to save the planet. And band aid was that year with the idea you can buy stuff to solve global poverty. And, and it was also the year that three of the great super brands, Nike, Apple, and Virgin all arrived on the global stage so it's like a so so maybe maybe the consumer story kind of had its moment but now we need to move beyond it i think is a is is really why telling those three stories together is is more generative something else you've just talked about and i love that how you said even litter picks did that was that it was bringing people to, i know the word i used to pick. go no but i used to go litter picking do you remember i told yeah. you i used to go i was in a club john a saturday morning club called the wombles named after the nice. famous ones in wimbledon <laughs> who picked up litter and i went litter picking juliet laughed at the time it's in one of the earlier episodes but now she's saying what a great thing that once you say it john collect, collective agency my friend that's what this is all about like so um, okay no seriously the, the serious thing with this is like if it, like individual action that like it does matter what we all do like we should we shouldn't use disposable cups we shouldn't fly where we can possibly avoid. like all of these things do matter but actually, individual agency, like it's it's kind of a one plus one plus one plus one thing. Totally. Whereas whereas the citizen thing is like collective agency, and and we become multipliers. Like it's a it's exponential impact instead of just incremental impact. Like it it it's only when we really work together. And and beautifully, that the literal derivation of the word citizen is it means together people. 
uh, means people are only only really kind of find meaning in in their interdependence. Like that is that's what this is about. And I really love Thich Nhat Hanh, of course, the Vietnamese monk. I love when he talks about interbeing and this whole idea of interconnectedness. It's so powerful. So we need to be stronger. We are stronger together. And I also loved how you said, "Tell the others." That's a good slogan for all of us to have in sustainability. And tell the others. So my my thing would be find the others more than it would be tell the others. It's like it's like involve the others. There's a there's a lovely um proverb that go, that runs like tell tell me and I'll forget, show me and I might remember, involve me and I'll understand. And I think like the other that's the other bit of this citizen story work is it's like how do you invite people into their agency, not just tell them or sell to them. Like if you if you start from the perspective that people are by nature collaborative, creative, caring creatures, and and that therefore the job is to create the conditions and the opportunities for them to for people to get involved, rather than to try and like channel their self interest despite itself in order like it's it's just about believing in humanity ultimately. It's like put your faith in people and and. Give us, give us, let's give ourselves a chance, right? John, what a brilliant outro for our for our podcast. That's a really nice, <laughs> uplifting outro. That's and really helpful. lovely. Yeah, helpful. really helpful. And succinct. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, John. It's been absolutely. Well, of course, it's been really. Look, helpful. she's all tongue-tied, John. <laughs> if you could see she her, she's blushing. She's blushing. Yeah. So look, thank you so much, John, and I'll speak to you another time. Thanks. I look forward to it. Thanks both. There you go, Juliet. He looks forward to it. He looks forward to talking to you. He's your new best friend You do now. this to me every episode. Him and Greta, does he pronounce his surname in a different way that, to which it's spelt <laughs> that you can correct people when they say it wrong? No, because his, he's from the United Kingdom, whereas Greta Thunberg is from Sweden. Thank you very much. We've talked a lot about books, so are you going to give people a list? I've created a little bookshop. It's You can go to it, link to it from my Instagram biography, or you can go to our Apple or wherever you're listening. We've got a list of the books and um, click through there because I actually try and get people to buy them from independent bookstores. So that's what this website does. You will be supporting independent bookshops. Now you're making me feel bad about asking to borrow yours. You're making me feel That's even both better. cheap and I'm letting the independent bookstores down. Well, you know, if you buy the climate book by Greta Thunberg, for example, you are making a donation to a wonderful charity. But it's, of course, great to share books. Pass it on. Pay it forward. Have we had enough motivational quotes, do you think, this series? I think so, definitely. We haven't said Gandhi be the change. No, or Jack, Matt Johnson of the there. if you can't change yourself, change the world. Though... I'm now thinking he needs to flip that, change the world before you change yourself. That's so true. And as Greta always says, it's a crisis, not only of the climate emergency, but a crisis of information not getting through. I hope we've helped. It's a funny old world, Simon. It certainly is.
waiting for the sirens call there. That's New Order, and that's for Julia Kinsman, who's uh, recording a podcast today, apparently, in uh, Hornsey Road with Andy and Simon. So uh, good luck to you there, Julia. Uh, we got the weather and the travel coming up in just a minute, but first, uh, this. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> 